You're, You're listening, listening to, to Death, Death Metal, Metal Disco. Disco. It is I, your lazy, lackadaisical podcast host and friend, James. I am coming to you here mid-April. It is uh, actually the 16th of April, it's Sunday, and it's been uh, a little over four months since my last podcast episode because I am a piece of garbage and just haven't made the fucking time to do it. And I, it feels like every episode I've released lately, I've started with an apology. So I apologize again for being so terrible at this. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to make excuses this time. Like Life is just fucking chaos, you know, and it's been busy. And uh, that's just the way it goes. And this definitely, definitely is uh, sadly a low priority for me. However, that being said... Um, I do have some things in the works for this, and I think they're going to be pretty fucking interesting. Um, things I've actually been trying to work on for, like, I don't know, since the end of 2021 or so, and things I've mentioned before on previous episodes um, that look like they're probably going to work out as far as uh, interviewing people. And I have uh, I have an interview lined up um, that I should be doing the week after this coming week. Um, uh, we got to lock down the details and all that, but, um, that'll be an interesting interview. And it's one that just, I have curiosities about personally. Um, and it came up in discussion with another friend of mine, um, back at the end of 2021. And, uh, I know other people who aren't, <laughs> who aren't deviants, also have curiosities about it. And I know, you know, tertiary things that I've, I've managed to, to glean from various people, but, uh, we won't get into the details now. I'll save that for the episode. Uh, but for now I am going to catch you up on what's been going on with me. So anyway, welcome to the death metal disco. So what's been going on with me? Last I checked in, um, I had to look actually at my little outline that I keep on Google Docs. Um, I did eight episodes as part of season two, a whopping eight. I did 26 episodes for the first season, the first year of this podcast. And then last year I just did eight. So boo on me. Um, yeah. And this year I'll do even fewer than that probably. Or maybe, well, maybe I'll do the same. I'm going to try and do at least that many. Um, like I said, I got some things in the works that I'm, I'm actually working to make come into fruition. Um, what's been going on with me? Mostly, I've been just focusing on not losing my sanity. <laughs> it's been kind of a, uh, a little bit of a rough ride. Work has been stressful for a variety of reasons. Life has been um, good. But busy, as as it is for many, many people. In fact, I'd say the majority of people are just, you know, stressed. And they got a lot of shit going on. The world is chaos. The world is on fire. Um, you know, various countries at war with each other. Just random shit, even here at home. Uh, the conspiracy theorists are 
not necessarily wrong about a lot of things. And uh, it's getting getting to the point where I'm just like, fuck, what is the point? And I don't know. Trivial things are even more trivial than they ever were before. And I am trying to value my time by myself more than I ever did before. Like I, I take boredom and I make boredom. I try to make boredom less boring, if that makes any sense at all. Like instead of thinking of it as being bored um, and, and instead of trying to find something to do to uh, curtail that boredom, I just focus on the peace that I'm actually having in that moment. And uh, I don't know if you want to call it meditative or whatever. I used to meditate pretty frequently, pretty regularly, almost daily. Um, I don't these days. I probably should start that back up. Um, I think it's helpful if you can. Uh, some of the you know more religious friends of mine, you know, maybe they call it praying or whatever, and everybody's got their own little thing. Um, but I think meditating, if you if you find a method of meditation that works for you, is is very helpful. And you know, I gave it up. I just stopped. Um, but maybe I should pick that back up because I have nothing against it at all. It's just more of a laziness thing. So maybe I'll do that. But anyway, been working on trying not to lose my mind. Um, trying not to let the world get me down. And sometimes it's harder than I would like. Which is not uncommon for anybody. If anybody pays any attention to anything happening in the world around them, even just their local proximity shit, it's it, it can get very overwhelming very rapidly. So that's, that's what I've been doing. And uh, dealing with a lot of work stuff and then a lot of um, just other interpersonal relationships. Uh, the band stuff, we've been kind of on hiatus since January. Um, our drummer, Greg, quit. Um, won't get into any of those details, but he, he decided he was done with us and, uh, we've just been kind of on hiatus since then. And we haven't even posted that we're looking for a drummer. So I, I do intend to do, put that on the social medias here. I meant to do it by the end of this past week, but I didn't. Um, so I'll probably write something up today or sometime this week and get that posted. We got at least one person we're going to reach out to and see if they have any interest in jamming with us. Um, I know Ryan reached out to somebody else already that um, just out of curiosity to see what they would charge to be like a session drummer for a recording. Not that we're anywhere near the recording phase of any new material, but uh, <laughs> just out of curiosity, um, which uh, I remember looking up this person many years ago, like 10 years ago, probably just to see, cause I knew, I knew they offered session, session drumming shit. And I don't think it was very expensive, but you know, that was, that was way back in the day. Um, I don't particularly want to deal with a session drummer. However, having a session drummer on your record, um, with somebody who is, uh, with a name, like the one that, that Ryan contacted, would not be a bad thing. So we'll see what happens with that, if anything. Like, whatever. That could be very cool. But 
anyway, we, that's what we've been doing with the band. So if you're wondering what's going on with the band, uh, we've just been kind of chilling things out right now. Um, Derek, our guitar player, may be moving back, but I, I guess that's going to be delayed like another year or something. So haven't talked to him in a while about it, but uh, yeah. Anyway, we're also looking for a new jam space, obviously, because we were playing at Greg's house. So, um, yeah, that's that's another thing. But being on hiatus, that has not mattered. So, anyway, as far as uh, me, um, the last episode I think I talked about, I I want to say I talked about going to London. I made a, a very quick trip to the UK and uh, saw the boys in a Legion play show. And it was fast, it was fascinating, not, not fascinating, it was fucking awesome, like, it was a good time, it was a long flight, not long flight there, long flight back, but it was uh, a great, very last minute trip, um, and I would recommend doing something like that to anybody, if you have the the means, you know, financially, or if you have the, the you know, somebody offers you that opportunity and and like I said I think I said it in that episode if you don't have your passport fucking get your passport that right there will open up the door to many 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 more opportunities for such things like it's one thing if somebody's like hey what do you want to do this weekend you want to go to Vegas yeah that's cool Vegas is fine go to Vegas for the weekend but maybe somebody wants to take you abroad for the weekend and if you don't have your passport that's one of the biggest hurdles that you got to jump through before you can do anything like that. And I just, I mean, I've had my passport for almost 10 years now. It's about to, it'll expire next year. And I haven't used it nearly as much as I hoped to when I got it. But just being able to last minute decide, yeah, I'm going to the UK for, you know, just over 48 hours you can't make a decision like that without already having your passport. So get your fucking passport if you don't have your passport. Plus, if you lose your driver's license or your ID or whatever, there you go. You got a backup ID ready to go. So just saying. Or if you want to take it up a notch and you want to feel like you're some sort of super secret agent or whatever, you could get like a, a safe and then keep it in there and then be like, oh, yeah, I got to go access the safe and get my passport because I'm a spy or however you want to make you feel like you're extra cool. Just saying that's something you could do. So since we've last talked, um, that was in December, that last episode, uh, where I went to England. Um, it is now April. I have aged. I, I crossed, um, I revolved around the sun in completion. Another year. I'm now fucking old. I'm 43 now. So had a birthday. And for that birthday, I actually was in Japan. Um, I originally had booked a trip to Japan for my 40th birthday, which was in 2020. I'm a 1980 baby. And I was like, you know what? Fucking 2020, 40, turning 40. I'm going to go to Japan. Well, as I've talked about before, the beginning of 2020, my back got fucked up. I ended up in the hospital. I didn't even have the trip booked. Um, my birthday's at the end of March, and this was the beginning of, of 2020. I didn't have anything booked. I had general ideas of what I wanted to do. I had looked at airfare, and I'd looked at booking with miles and points and all that stuff. But I hadn't actually booked anything. Um, and I had the time off requested. But then I ended up with the back problem and just kind of saw that 
evaporating. The longer my back hurt, the more likely I knew that that was not going to happen. Even before I was in the hospital. And then the hospital stay, I was like, oh yeah, it's totally fucked now. But Because <clears throat> a last minute trip to Japan is 100% more difficult than a last minute trip to the UK. And the only reason for that is just because of the language barriers that you might encounter. You could do it. You could pull it off um, now that I've been there and I know that. Um, also, it's a lot more expensive to get there. Just saying. Like, I got super lucky with my trip to the UK where the price was uh, very good. But Japan, generally, especially in springtime, is going to be pricey. So anyway, like I said, booked it in... Uh, well, I didn't book it, but I had it planned for my 40th in 2020. Back problems and then COVID. And COVID fucked everything up. So I was like, well, all right, you know, guess I'm not going to Japan. No big deal. But Japan was number one on my list since I was probably six or seven years old. I've wanted to go to Japan because I was just a big fan of everything, everything Japanese, but it all stemmed from the martial arts. When I was a kid, I was taking taekwondo and karate and uh, got into judo and aikido and I was just fascinated first by the martial arts and then by the history of Japan. Like you start it a good, a good teacher. If you ever, you know, if you have kids and you put them in martial arts or if you're taking martial arts themselves, the, a good teacher will teach you the history of that particular martial art, regardless of what it is. If it's something like fencing or if it's something like boxing, you're going to learn the history of boxing. If you have a good teacher, you know, just not why they're telling you to, you know, stick and move and, and keep your guard up to keep from getting punched, but they're going to reference all of these other fighters, all of these other coaches, whatever. But when it comes to the traditional martial arts, um, Asian martial arts specifically, you're going to get a history lesson and, uh, you know, how everything came about, like learning that Aikido was because you needed to be able to defend yourself from swordplay without any weapons. And, uh, you know, judo, same thing. Most fights end up on the ground. So that's how judo and jiu-jitsu and then going to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, learning how to fight on the ground. You get, you get all these history lessons. But just learning everything about Japan, especially the samurai eras, um, stuck with me as a kid. So I was like, fuck yeah, man, I got to go. I got to go check it out. Plus, I love Japanese food. So sushi, ramen, all of the Japanese foods. Uh, they're just, I love Asian, I love food. Like if you know me, I'm a fat ass. I love food. So yeah, that was just another small reason, but Japan, number one, finally did it. So one benefit of my job, since I travel for work is, uh, we get to keep our hotel points and our airline miles that we get with our travel. So um, the company, get, we you know, get a corporate card, we book our travel using that corporate card, and we get to keep the miles and the points that the uh, rewards and loyalty programs with the major chains and major airlines and all that come along with it. So with that, and it's been, I've been with the, my company for about six and a half years now, um, I've racked up not a whole crap ton of miles like I thought I would because I my travel's been roughly 50% over the course of the six years. Um, and then COVID, you know, put a huge crunch on just the ability to travel, let alone everything else. But um, 
and I've used some miles over the over that time. I've booked several decent trips and flights, and you know when you use miles to actually pay for flights, those miles don't seem like they go quite as far. Um, but after doing some reading and actually learning, and once you hit specific milestones for how many miles you have in your account, that actually opens up the doors, and you can use more miles to take bigger trips. Um, so, you know, you hit, like, I think with United, it was something like I hit 70,000 or 75,000 miles in my account, and then I could book a trip to Hawaii using fewer miles than what it would have cost me if I didn't have the 75,000 miles in my account. It was some weird shit, but, um, so I booked, I was able to book the trip to Japan, um, using totally miles and hotel points for the most part originally. Um, when it came down to hotel points, I used the hotel points a lot more frequently than I used the United miles because I was kind of, you know, trying to save up the miles, um, just to be able to fly to random places because a lot of times airfare is fucking crazy unless you want to pay low-cost carriers, which is fine. No judgment there at all. Uh, but low-cost carriers, you know, eventually you're going to pay for, like, your bag or you're choosing your seat or whatever. Um, and I'd just rather get that shit out of the way when I book the ticket to begin with. So that's that's my proclivity for it. But to each their own. No judgment from me. So I was able to book um, the airfare, and it was a direct flight from Denver to uh, Tokyo, Narita. Um, so Tokyo has two airports, Haneda and Narita, or Haneda. I'm not entirely sure how they say it. Uh, and then Narita. And I ended up going to Narita. Um, and I don't remember how many miles it cost me. It was kind of a lot of miles. I had roughly 260000 accrued in my account. And I want to say it probably took... Uh, half of that if I remember, but I booked it back in July and I, I don't remember, but I paid $76. That was the um, total amount that I had to pay in cash for the fees. So like taxes or whatever. Um, so unlike hotel points, when you book something with hotel points, like it's totally covered. Like I, I don't think I've ever paid unless I split it with uh, points and money. Um, I don't think I've ever paid any portion of that in cash, except for whatever charges might have been made to the room um, that I booked with the points itself. But for the airlines, there's all kinds of airline fees. So especially for an international flight, you get to pay uh, both the country of departure and the country of arrival have their own different fees. And so you got to pay those. Um, those aren't covered by the miles. So mine came down to $76. It was just for the... Uh, Economy, so premium, or economy plus was the seat. I book an exit row. Not a terrible seat. Wasn't great just because I didn't realize, or maybe the map of the plane didn't show me that the exit row was the full door on the Dreamliner, and no seat in front of me to put stuff under or a pocket to put stuff in, and that kind of sucked um, for 11-hour flight. That was kind of a bummer, but, you know, I could at least get up and not have to crawl over people to get out because I always book a window seat if I can. Um, so that was kind of nice. I could just stand up and move as opposed to crawling over people if I needed to go to the bathroom or get up and just walk around because that's a long time to be sitting down. So so my original plan um, for booking the that, I would have loved to have booked a premium plus seat, which is like 
on those flights, they're not, I don't know what they really call them. It's not like first class, business class. Maybe they, maybe they do call the Polaris the first class. Um, and then the premium plus would be the, uh, the business class. Premium plus is what I got fortunate enough to fly out to the UK on. And those were nice. Those were really comfortable seats. Um, you know, better meals, uh, more space. It was, it, those were really, really nice. Uh, I, those, those were too many miles. So I didn't, I didn't book those. Um, I wanted to, but the, just too much. I didn't want to blow all of my miles on that, but you know, I could have probably and been fine, but I, I, I booked that and economy was no big deal. When I flew out to Bali in 2017, um, I was on the triple sevens and, those seats were uncomfortable. Like they, I think those are supposed to be economy plus and it just felt really cramped. I, I don't know why I felt so cramped at that time, but it was, it was, I don't know. It was just weird. But anyway, I booked the airline with miles and then the hotel. Um, I had really two ideas for my, my general itinerary. I didn't have, um, super specifics locked down. I knew I was going to be there for about two weeks, so like 12 to 14 days. With the time change, it ended up being I flew out on a Sunday. I arrived there on Monday with the time change Monday afternoon and then fly back on Saturday and then arrive here back on Saturday, um, even earlier than technically when I left, thanks to the international date line. My itinerary generality included I wanted to do roughly a week in Tokyo, the Tokyo area, and then eh, a week-ish in Osaka, um, in the Osaka area. So when I'm thinking Osaka, I'm thinking Osaka and Kyoto. And Osaka and Kyoto are a 30-minute bullet train ride from each other and super close. In fact, when you take the Shinkansen, which is the bullet train, from Tokyo to Osaka... Uh, you actually stop in Kyoto first and then continue on to Osaka and it's roughly a half hour ride from there. But I knew that if I, for some odd reason in my brain, or at least when I was looking for hotels and stuff, my brain did not think to stay in Osaka at all, or maybe there weren't anything available at the time. I just don't remember why I didn't think to stay in, in, uh, Kyoto, but so what ended up happening is I booked the first week. So I arrived Monday the 27th, and I booked the first week until the 2nd, April 2nd, um, in Tokyo. And I stayed in uh, Tokyo, or Hilton, Tokyo, which is in Shinjuku. And basically stayed in Shinjuku and operated from there. Um, I say operated like it's some sort of technical base of operations or whatever, Uh but from there, I was able to navigate around and go do a lot of the stuff that I had and then take the Shinkansen down to Osaka and stay at the Hilton Osaka down there and go do some stuff that was in the vicinity. Um, I ended up only doing four nights in Osaka. Uh, I originally had three nights and then was going to go back either to Tokyo or go back closer to the airport. I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Um, and I didn't book the hotel for the third leg of that. I, I had just the, the original Hilton Tokyo and then the Hilton Osaka for the three nights. And that's all I had done. So when I was booking it, I didn't really have enough, uh, hotel points for Hilton to book all three at the time. I hadn't, uh, quite got enough. 
and I didn't, I didn't want to pay for any of the stays. Um, I didn't want to pay my own money. So I was like, oh, and plus I didn't know what my total itinerary was going to be, what my agenda was going to be. So I waited for a while and didn't book the last portion um, hotel until uh, maybe beginning of March. When it came down to it, I ended up deciding I was going to stay for the last three or four nights closer to Narita Airport. Um, one of the guys I work with, he told me that the Narita area was actually a pretty cool little town, a little sleepier than Tokyo proper, which uh, is noticeable. Even even when I flew into Narita and we were take, I was taking the train to my hotel, it was like an hour train ride. Um, it seemed like it was out in the middle of nowhere comparatively to what Tokyo was. Tokyo was a big, bustling city, and Narita was not. Definitely felt like the country. Um, I didn't... I booked it originally, and I didn't still have enough points, and I ended up was about to pay $1,000. And then I ended up uh, changing my itinerary while I was in Osaka to add add some stuff into it. So I stayed another night in Osaka, um, and then ended up only staying two nights near the airport. Um, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a second part of this episode where I talk about where I was and what I did and all that. Not the second part of this episode, a second episode talking about all that crap. But that's what I ended up doing is I had stayed at the Hilton or the Hilton Tokyo in Shinjuku area and then I was there for almost a week and then down to Osaka, there for four nights and then back up to the Hilton Narita, well Hilton Tokyo Narita um, for the last two nights, two or three nights. I don't even fucking remember. And, uh, you know, that worked out really, really well. That allowed me to make better use of my, uh, JR pass, which is the, the pass that you can use to cover the Shinkansen bullet train tickets. And, uh, you know, it's like, like a bus pass almost except it's for the trains. And with the Shinkansen, the JR pass, you get to specify a time that it's valid for. I only did mine for a week and I activated it on the 31st. So I had to make sure that the 31st is when I could use it for even the local JR lines because Japan has like 10 different train companies and JR is just one of them. Um, the bullet trains are the JR lines. They're they're owned by the Japan Rail uh, company. So that's kind of what it's you know, designed around. And even when you buy the pass, you have to buy it before you get there. It's only for tourists. Um, they have like a price saver calculator on their website. So you can put in your destinations, like where you're going to start, where you're going to finish and how often you're going to use it. And it'll tell you how much you would save with the pass versus just buying a ticket. And originally, because I had only planned on taking the bullet train from Tokyo to Osaka, um, and didn't really factor in the Kyoto portion of it. The, uh, the the website said I'd only save like 20 bucks. I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll still do it. And that way I just have it. So if I want to take like a local line somewhere uh, on JR, I can or whatever. Um, so that's all I did. I just did it for the week because it's still, still pretty expensive. I bought the green car, which is the first class train car ticket, basically. And it was like $80, $75 more than the regular ticket just because of that. I just was originally planning on taking my big checked luggage with me, and they have some restrictions for that. And uh, I'm a big dude, so I take up space. So I just wanted to be a little more, you know, considerate of other people and have a little more space to myself when I'm on the train. In hindsight, I would have been fine with the regular, but 
you know, it's fine. The, the green car was actually pretty nice, so not going to lie, I'd do it again. But activating it on the 31st, and then it's, like, not, that was Thursday, or no, that was uh, Friday. Yeah, the 31st was Friday, and then it's only good until the 6th, so it wasn't good uh, Friday to Friday. It was good Friday to Thursday. It was, like, seven complete days, not, it, it was very weird, so it was, yeah. So, anyway, um, activate it on the 31st, go down to Osaka on the 2nd, and then come back to Tokyo on the 6th um, was how that all worked out. And it worked out really well. And I actually made much more use of that pass than, than originally planned because I added some stops, so added some stuff to do while I was in Osaka. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful thing. So when I travel, and I think I might have talked about it while I was when I was doing the UK episode, but... I don't like to have a jam-packed itinerary of things. I like to have some general ideas of what I want to see and do, but I don't like to have a fucking filled timeline. I just don't like to feel like I'm required to do anything, um, especially if I'm on vacation. Like, I, I want to relax. And if I'm solo, I definitely don't want to do it. Now, if I'm with other people and they have a fucking timeline of things, even though I don't really want to adhere to something like that, you know, I'll go along with it. So, like, when Chris and I, you know, we would go to New Orleans or whatever for the film festivals, and he had a bunch of stuff on his timeline, I didn't care if we knocked it all off the list. There were things that I definitely wanted to do, but I didn't care if we hit up everything that was on his itinerary. That it just seems to me, for vacation, that if you fill it up with too much stuff, that's half the reason people come back from vacation exhausted is just they did too much shit and they need a vacation after their vacation. And I don't like that. Like that, that seems to me worse than missing out on some things that you could have done while you were there. Um, I don't have a, a FOMO issue, a fear of missing out issue for a lot of things. So to me, I just had, you know, a guideline of things I wanted to check out, but not anything required. So the, there were the things I had on my list that I definitely wanted to do is I wanted to go to a, a park where cherry blossoms were going to be hopefully prevalent. Um, Japan has a uh, a website. I don't know if it's owned by Japan or if it's some independent thing. I can't remember. I can't even remember what it's called now. But it's like a website that predicts the schedule of cherry blossoms blooming and flowering and falling which I can't remember the term now, but it's, they call it the like the blossom snow um, throughout the country. So uh, north to south, like it's it's kind of weird. I would think it, they would bloom in the south a little bit earlier than they bloom in the north. And when I looked at that particular timeline, it looked like they start blooming in the north earlier than they do in the south. And when I had every I had everything booked before I ever even learned about this this website. And when I looked at the website after finding it on a YouTube video, because I watched dozens of YouTube videos about traveling to Japan um, after I had booked everything, uh, my timeline pretty much matched up with their predictions for the, the blooming and flowering. Based on everything else I've read, the blooming portion is when the cherry blossoms are like the really pretty pink color. That is what a lot of people know about them. And then the flowering is where they flower and they're white. Well, it turns out, uh, courtesy of uh, an Instagrammer, um, 
solo traveler chick whose name I totally forget now. Um, Alyssa, Alyssa something. I totally forgot her name. Alyssa Salazar. I'd have to look her up. Her, her Instagram is, uh, Oh Jesus. What the hell's her Instagram? My travel, my life is a travel movie. I think is what it is. Fuck. Alyssa Ramos, Alyssa Ramos, my life's a travel movie. Um, that's the Instagrammer that, uh, that somebody had sent me, uh, my friend Kimmy of the lost chill podcast. She had sent me that, um, she's been following her for years and she does solo, solo travel. She's traveled to, I think now she's in her 127th country, but she was actually in Japan. Um, I think she'd been there for a week before I got there. And she was down, I want to say she was in Okinawa when she sent me a post, but she was going to Tokyo, and she does these group trips and all this other shit. Um, so I started following her because um, her travel videos are are pretty awesome. She goes to some really cool places. She's a master of solo travel. Um, she's cute. That doesn't hurt. Um, but the solo travel, and she, you know, she shares travel perspective as a female, and that's something that a lot of females at least that I know who have been like oh man I can't, that traveling solo sounds so cool but you know also dangerous because especially because they're female and I think she's written at least one book and has another book that she's getting ready to book, uh, release um specific to traveling as a female solo and um that that's pretty cool and I think my friend Jeremiah has recommended her shit to other people as far as females traveling solo and, uh, you know, so anyway, if that's who, if you're female and you want to travel solo, that's an excellent resource is Alyssa Ramos. My Life's a Travel Movie. Um, her group trip thing is My Life, My Life's a Travel, I don't know, it's linked in her profile. My Life's a Travel Trip. Or, no, I can't remember what it is. Travel Group or some shit like that. Uh, but it's in her profile. Um, they did one mass trip to India and then another one. They had big week-long trip for like, I don't know, she had like 20 people in that group um, in Tokyo. And they were there just a few days before I was. But she's the one that keyed me in that the cherry blossoms were blooming earlier than predicted in Tokyo. Um, which bummed me out because I didn't get to see all the really pretty pink colors that I was hoping to catch. But, you know, when I got there, they were in full flowering and they were beautiful and uh, this really pretty white. So I wanted to see the cherry blossoms. And luckily, um, the uh, Shinjuku Gyoen Park National Park wasn't far from where I was staying. And that park was fucking awesome. Uh, tons of tourists, but really it was so big and open, it didn't feel like there was a lot of people once you're inside. Um, one of the big pastimes that the Japanese have is finding a park, deploying a fucking picnic blanket. A lot of the times it seemed like it was just like a plastic tarp type of thing, like a thin tarp, and just having a picnic in a park, like even just regular parks. Um, that seemed to be a very, very common theme. And I, I had seen YouTube videos about that and read blogs and stuff mentioning that before and then when I saw it in person even outside of this park um at other smaller parks there's a smaller park just a block away from my hotel um and I could see it from the window of my hotel and every day when I'd look down there there was at least five six giant picnic blankets with people just chilling having lunch and I was like that's pretty fucking awesome but the cherry blossoms was one thing I definitely didn't want to miss out on um and I took 
I don't know, 85 billion pictures and some videos of of the Shinjuku Gyoen National Park while I was inside it. Um, I posted those on the Instagram page, so the Death Metal Disco Pod at Death Metal Disco Pod is the the podcast Instagram page. I didn't post any of this shit to Twitter. I don't know why, but I didn't. I should post some of it to Twitter or links to the Instagram to Twitter. Yeah, I don't think a lot of those videos went because I did most of it from my personal account, which then linked the pictures, but not the videos to the Insta- to the podcast Instagram. No idea why that's the case, but it seemed like every time I had a video in one of those multi multi-picture things or posted a video to my personal it didn't bring up the option to share it to the podcast, which was fucking weird, but I did most of those on my personal, which is all open too. So if you go look at the podcast episode or the podcast Instagram, you'll see a link to my personal Instagram. Um, and you can check that out and see the actual videos of the trip too. Um, not everything's on there, especially from the park. I just didn't put all of them up there. Uh, I intend to create some reels and shit like that with it, but I just haven't done it yet. The other things I wanted to do is I wanted to uh, check out some temples and shrines. I didn't do nearly as many as I could have. I did do at least the two that I wanted to. Um, the Meiji the Meiji Shrine in Tokyo and the uh, the Meiji Shrine in Tokyo and the uh, Fushimi Inari Shrine in Kyoto were the two. I mean, those are two big ones on anybody's list anyway, um, especially the Fushimi Inari shrine in Kyoto that's the one that always makes all of the all of the tourist pictures with all of the Tori bridges that it's a pathway just filled with I don't even know how many of the Tori not Tori bridges but the Tori gates I don't even know how many gates are on there there's some that are the original gates that you can see that are um, noticeably different and OG than the more modern ones um, which I'm going to have to look like they say all the shit's painted in the color of vermilion there, but it looks orange to me. Um, so I'm going to have to do more research on the color vermilion because I always thought that was a lot closer to crimson than it is. So I don't know. Maybe the paint's fading. I don't know. But um, I wanted to see at least those two things because, um, you know, those are awesome. And then Kyoto's got a whole shit ton of other temples and stuff. But I'll talk about those in, in the other episode. The biggest thing I do when I travel is I try to um, act and live more like a local. I, you know, if I go to places with huge tourist destinations, especially if I'm solo, I don't necessarily go to those. You know, I'll, I'll find restaurants that are local joints. When I went to Hawaii way back in the day with my family, the the coolest place I ended up was a local bar that was like four blocks from the hotel from the beach and I found it just walking around while I was smoking a cigar and I heard karaoke coming out of this place and ended up in there and they were charging $5 for Jack and Coke. And I was like, all right. And so I just hung out in there and listened to some surprisingly good karaoke singers at this local joint. Like, I don't think I don't have any idea who was a tourist and who wasn't. It seemed like everybody there knew each other. I might've been the only person from out of town and that was cool. And when I travel, you know, locally in the States and stuff, that's way easy to do is just find a local joint. Um, Japan, like just the way the restaurants and stuff are set up, everything's a local joint for the most part. Um, But, you know, I I, I like to wander. I don't have a ton of stuff on my itinerary. 
Um, but I'll, I'll talk more about that in the next episode because of the different destinations that I ended up in. So another must for me was to ride the Shinkansen, the bullet trains, which going from Tokyo to, to Osaka was going to knock that out right off the bat. And then the round trip version. Um, but that was definitely something on my list. But the thing with Japan is they are masters of the train. They have, like I said, they have like something like 10 different train companies that operate in the country and a whole bunch of them operate just in the Tokyo area themselves and between the subways and the, uh, like the express trains and different things like that. So when I landed in Narita, um, and I got my JR pass exchanged, the voucher they sent me at home. And then I exchanged that for the, the actual pass at the airport. Um, then you got to buy a ticket on, there's two different trains to take you to Tokyo. Um, I took the Narita Express train uh, from the airport to the station close to my hotel in, in Tokyo. And and that was, you know, very visibly a different type of train than the bullet trains, than the subways, and, and just the... They do trains right, and they're fucking almost always perfectly timed and scheduled. And they're so, so smooth. I rode a couple different subway lines. Um, rode... I rode, I think I took the Shinkansen. Let's see, that was round trip, so that's two, four. I think I had six different Shinkansen trips just with the different trips I took um, while I had the pass active. Uh, and then the Narita Express I took twice. And then I don't even remember how many subway subway rides I had, but it was... Several different trains. I can't remember the name of the 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 line that has it, but they have a whole. I want to say it's the it's not the Hokkaido line. Um, they have a whole train that is just it is it's like vinyl wrapped in Hello Kitty. The whole thing is Hello Kitty, and I didn't know about that beforehand. And I was in the subway waiting for my train, and I think it was my last day, so I was on my way to maybe the hotel by the airport and I was waiting for that train. And then this hello kitty train rolls up and I was like, what the hell is that? But yeah, uh, they do trains and they do them very well and they have that shit down to a T. And that is something that is severely fucking lacking here in the States. And I mean, it's, it's crazy. And the train thing right now in the States is a fucking debacle. Like, especially when you're thinking of non personnel transport trains, uh, my buddy Nick was just telling me last night there was a fucking another derailment with toxic shit somewhere. I haven't looked it up or anything, but fucking, yeah. Trains. Japan. Germany apparently has good train systems. I haven't haven't been to Germany yet, but that's, that's forthcoming sometime uh, next year, probably. And that was, I was thinking, so like, I'm not a huge train nerd at all, but fucking that shit could easily convert me to be one. Um, while I was there, I was thinking, you know, if I could bring anybody to Japan just to check out the train system, it'd be my dad because he used to have this. Uh, I don't, I don't even remember how old this damn thing was, but it was like a little, little train set that you could power. You know, we'd set that up when we were kids, and there was nothing to it. It was just go round and round, and the train set was probably a scale model of of a train, and it wasn't anything fancy, at least to my knowledge, and it worked, but you know. It was whatever, but 
like when the airport, the new DIA, Denver airport opened back in the early 90s, mid 90s, 95, whenever it was, before 9-11, and you can go to the, the individual concourses. We went there to go check out the train system. So, you know, go in, go down into the trains and take those to the terminals, walk around. The light rail opened up and we'd go catch the light rail downtown. And part of it was just to go downtown and not have to worry, worry about parking. But the biggest part of it was just he used to drive the bus for RTD way back in the day. And part of it was just to check out the train and uh, like, like just to take him to Japan to do that would be awesome. He wouldn't eat any of the food, but <laughs> that's that's a whole other thing. So the the downside of having a loose itinerary is uh, time wasted. Um, some people like when I tell my buddy Jeremiah, my buddy Jeremiah, he he backpacked through Southeast Asia for like seventeen months, and he had planned on a full year minimum, and ended up being there for seventeen months before he came back. Uh, because he just eventually ran out of money and needed to come back and reassess and, you know, reacquire some cash, even though he was working at a bar, an expat bar, uh, for the last few months that he was there, I think. Um, but when I told him about my UK trip, he's like, dude, you and I travel very differently. I was like, yeah, but this was like a super last minute, and I don't care if I do all of the random shit that you can do when you go do this stuff. Uh, me traveling, I... You know, I'm a lazy piece of shit, so I'm good just randomly wandering around or just chilling. Like, if I find a cool outdoor bar or outdoor patio or something, and I just want to chill and watch people, I'm totally down for that. However, uh, you know, in hindsight, there was a lot of things I could have done and could have made better time of if I had planned a little bit better. Um, You'll hear about a lot more of that in the part two of this, the, that episode, just because of the last minute additions that I made, um, specifically when it came to buying tickets for the Shinkansen trains, um, in a particular destination that I ended up going to, um, that was kind of a, not really a last minute, but sort of a last minute addition to my itinerary. I didn't stay in that town. Um, so I had to take the train to and from on the same day, but, uh, there was much confusion on my end about buying the tickets. So lost a few hours within the day, um, just in that because of my poor planning. But, um, I don't really feel bad about it. Like, I don't feel like I missed anything. Um, I do want to go back to Japan already. And if I do, I'll plan, plan a little bit better. I'll plan things differently. At least, uh, maybe not see the same stuff that I did. Maybe go to the same places, but not see the same things. Uh, and, you know, I'd like to go with somebody. I want to share that with somebody if I can. And, you know, I had some people tell me they wanted to come with me, but telling me you want to come with me and not coming with me or actually coming with me is different. So, uh, whatever. <laughs> That's a whole different discussion. <laughs> um, but, yeah, wasting time, like, like I said, a loose itinerary, you know, could afford me the ability to sleep in which is not something I ended up doing for whatever reason. Like, um, the jet lag kicked my ass pretty hard the first day I was there. Um, after I got in that first day after I landed, I was kind of fucked up way more than I expected to be. Um, same thing happened when I went out to the UK 
And a big part of that is that I just can't sleep on the planes for very long. I did buy a travel uh, CPAP thing and a battery backup. Um, I don't know. There's probably a good level of embarrassment about putting that shit on and using it that I just didn't feel like dealing with. In hindsight, though, I think, especially for my ride back, because I paid for an upgraded ticket to business class, the first class on the way back here from Japan, I, and it was an overnight flight, I could have and should have just fucking busted that thing out, put it on, and I probably would have slept quite a few hours, and then the jet lag um, being home would not have lasted four days like it did. So, hindsight. Another thing to do on my list um, was food. I wanted to eat, originally, I wanted to eat all the fucking sushi that I could physically handle and all the ramen that I could handle and uh, street food. Um, Street food is not prevalent everywhere. It is hugely prevalent down in Osaka. Um, That's kind of what they're known for, especially in the Dotonburi street. Um, which everybody has seen pictures of. I wanted to eat. I wanted to eat things that I couldn't identify the ingredients of readily, which isn't difficult to do because not everything has an English menu, and Google Translate doesn't always do a great job of translating the menu um, that you take a picture of into English, depending on how they wrote their menu. So there, there were a couple times where, in fact, the second night. The second night I was in town, um, found a ramen spot and it was, you know, it was the first one I ended up at that had a, um, you know, it was one of those tiny little izakaya places where you, I mean, I barely fit in the seat in the place. Um, I think it had maybe 10 seats at the bar and there was no other seating sliding glass door and the. Uh, menu and pay box were outside of it. So you you look at the menu, you pick which one you want, you pay, it prints out a ticket, you give that to the the cook inside, and they whip it up and they put it in front of you wherever you're sitting. And when I first walked in, I didn't even notice the thing. Like if I had noticed it before walking in, probably wouldn't have felt like a dumbass when he asked me for my ticket. And I was like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And he didn't speak very much English, but he spoke enough to at least walk outside with me and show me. And the the box menu thing didn't have English at all. Um, but he was nice enough to stand out there. And they had, I think, three customers inside. And he stood out there with me. And he pointed at them and he said, basic ramen. Um, uh, I don't remember what he called the other one. I got the other one. Basic ramen, supreme ramen or whatever it was called. Um, and then he pointed at another one and called it something else. And then this one, something else. I have no idea what the differences were. The pictures looked mostly the same, except the, uh, the super ramen or whatever it was had more stuff like more seaweed, um, probably a little more meat. I don't remember what all I had, but that's the one I ended up going with. What I didn't realize when it came to me is that it had uh, little fishes on it. And I don't know if they were like little tiny anchovies or what, but they were little whole fishes. They were dead, which was good because that would have creeped me the fuck out if they were alive. But I didn't see them (laughs) on the picture. And when he put it down in front of me, I was like, oh, fuck. All right, cool. But there was a bunch of them. At first when I saw them, there were like two just crisscrossed like in an X on top of the noodles and stuff. 
And I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. Cool. Two little fish. You know, I'll just make sure I mix those up with the noodles or the sauce or just make sure they're not by themselves when I eat them because I didn't want to be totally grossed out by texture or weird flavor, crunching bones or whatever. Um, but there was actually like a small handful of those fuckers in there. And that, that ramen was fucking delicious. Like I tend to like spicier ramen. This was not spicy um, at all, really. But it was delicious. It was fucking phenomenal. And it was a big portion. And like I, I ate the first night I was there, I found a udon, uh, udon restaurant, udon noodle restaurant, and had uh, pork katsu, which was basically fried pork, if you don't know. And uh, that shit was amazing. I didn't get any pictures of the pork for some stupid reason. But the udon that I got was really, really good. And then um, the next night was ramen. Um, and I was actually looking for a pudo ramen the first night and couldn't find it in the place that it said it was, but it was actually in a, there's like an annex building and I thought I was in the annex, but I wasn't. So, but I ate a fuck ton of noodles, like all of the noodles more. I ate more noodle dishes than I thought I would. I didn't eat as much sushi as I thought I was going to. I, Kimmy and I were talking and she's like, you need to eat all of the sushi because when I helped her and Katie set up or, you know, talked about setting them up for their podcast, um, the, uh, yeah, when I went over to Kimmy's house and we had a little get together and we, we ordered sushi for lunch and we ordered a fuck ton of sushi. And so for this, she's like, you need to order all the sushi, you need to eat all the sushi. And I originally planned to, and I had sushi the night of my birthday and it was only just, uh, I think it was like six or eight pieces. And that was like a four course meal or something like that. But the sushi portion wasn't very much. Um, and then a couple nights later I had like an all you can eat thing with 40 pieces of sushi and that was brutal, but it was fucking delicious. One thing that's huge in Japan is the snack culture. So whether it's a uh, little bento boxes, which are like pre-made lunch boxes, uh, or if it's, you know, getting something to eat from Seven Elevens or the Family Marts. So Family Mart and Seven Eleven are basically the same um, convenience stores, and they have so much stuff inside of them. It was it was overwhelming. I didn't make it into a real. Actually, I did make it into a real grocery store once um, when I was at the uh, uh, Tokyo Sky Tree. I ended up in some sort of huge mall type of thing that's at the base of the sky tree. And, but there's like a grocery store inside of there, which was cool. Um, but the seven 11s and the family marts, like I'd go in cause I drink, a, I tried to drink a shit ton of water cause I drink a whole bunch of water when I'm home. Anyway, I try to drink six liters of water. I knew that was going to be more difficult there just cause you know, carrying a bunch of water from seven 11 back to my hotel room and whatever, just trying not to look like an idiot carrying around jugs and jugs and jugs of water, but you know, that is what it is. I, I didn't drink as much water as I should have, but it's also 75% humidity there. Um, I don't think I ever hit real dehydration, but, <coughs> but the seven 11s like, you know, seven 11 here, like the seven 11 by my house, you know, has the normal, you got your, your bottled waters, your bottled sodas, um, some tea, some milk products, uh, some beers, whatever. And then snacks. So like most of the snacks, you got your protein bars, your little pastries, tons of fucking candy, um, whatever. And then by the counter, they, they will have like a hot bar of things like 
you know, some corn dogs, taquitos, maybe pizza, whatever. Um, and then in their, their cold, cold section, they'll have like sandwiches and, you know, frozen burritos or whatever. And that's really about it here. But in Japan, that cold section is like full on pre-made fucking meals of various kinds, like noodle dishes, uh, various, uh, Various fish, lots and lots and lots and lots of fish dishes in their refrigerated, frozen 7-Eleven sections of just a shit ton of stuff. And I would usually end up going in at night um, just to take stuff back to the room. And uh, a lot of the stuff on that was either being refilled or was wiped out. And there was so much stuff, though, that was there. It was mind-blowing. None of the rooms I stayed in had microwaves, which I thought was interesting, but all of the 7-Elevens that I was in, I went into like three or four of them, had four or five microwaves right by the front door. So if I were to buy one, I could microwave that shit before I walked out of the store and then take it back to the hotel with me, which was only like a block and a half away. Um, But as far as the snacks goes, like they had uh, matcha tea, matcha tea flavored everything so they they were big on these uh like pre-packaged individually packaged donuts cookies whatever and the cookies the matcha tea cookies were fucking bomb those things were amazing um pocky sticks which is uh uh i don't know if those are japanese or if those are just some asian candy you can even find those in the asian foods section of your grocery store usually just the regular chocolate ones i think they're like a like a cookie stick type of thing with dipped in chocolate, but the matcha ones, I bought, I bought a big ass box of those. Those are, those are fucking delicious. Everything matcha flavored was amazing. Um, Kit Kats, the various flavors, weird quote unquote, weird flavors of Kit Kats. I bought like six boxes of those strawberry wasabi, the wasabi ones I just tried last night. Um, they taste, they don't taste like wasabi, but they have like the same wasabi kind of heat to them. Not overwhelming or anything they're still sweet like Kit Kats but they have that little just a little hint of wasabi not like wasabi peas which are covered in actual wasabi powder um it's they're very weird but they're very good like super good but Kit Kats seem to be the thing and I could never find any of the weirdly flavored Kit Kats at any of them until the um 7-Eleven inside the hotel at, at the last hotel I stayed at and there they had them all and so I bought all of them, like sake flavored, uh, Tokyo banana, which is apparently a different type of banana than regular banana. I don't know specifically what the difference is, but even at the airport in uh, the duty-free stores, they had a whole island of Tokyo banana. They just called it Tokyo banana, and then it was a whole bunch of different products that were Tokyo banana versions of those products. The snack culture is huge. If you're getting on the bullet trains... Or even any of the longer trains, the longer, um, you know, reserve seat type of trains or even the open seat trains, but trains with seats on them that have tray tables and stuff. The train stations all had stores that you can come in and, you know, not even if it's a regular restaurant or if it's a store, you could buy these meals and mow down on the train. For the most part, they don't want you eating on the trains and eating in public. You're not allowed. It's like disrespectful to eat and walk in, in Tokyo. Um but if you're on the train, like the Shinkansen specifically, they don't usually offer food. There is like a snack cart that comes through and you could buy stuff from them. But generally speaking, you just stop in the store, or grab something from there, 
take it on the train with you and then eat it on the train. It's that was normal. Um, I had some other stuff that I, I bought some snacks from one, I think for the train ride back to Tokyo from Osaka. Um, yeah, it was, it was snack culture is huge there. It's mind blowing, but they're like probably quote unquote healthier snacks than what Americans have on a regular basis. That being said, however, I am diabetic and my blood sugar the entire time because of all the fucking, you know, super high carb rice and noodles and everything was fucking high as shit all the time. Plus, I forgot all of my medications except for my insulin. I managed to bring that, but I forgot my diabetes medication, my blood pressure medication, and my cholesterol medication because I'm fucking stupid. Like, I meant to pack them and they didn't fit in the original thing I was packing them in. So I took them back out to put them in the other thing and then I forgot. So that was cool. But the food was good. Like, I didn't eat anything that was bad. In Osaka, I had uh, takoyaki, which is the octopus balls. Not for everybody. Um, mostly because of the texture. The flavor was a little weird, a little bit fishy. Uh, but those things... Um, I would recommend anybody try those. And you be to judge. Like, definitely not for everybody. I could, I could say that right now. But... I mean, the first time I had them, I was at a sushi restaurant with my friend Shannon when we were in California, and she warned me about them, and I think those ones were probably sitting out for a while, so they, they I had two of them out of the order of five, and I was not at all down with it, but there were so many people in in line for them at the the restaurants in Osaka, I was like, all right. I'm going to try it again. And they were fucking phenom- like just fantastic. Just super good. So yeah, takoyaki, absolutely the shit. Also melon pan, uh, melon bread, basically. Really melon bread is not anything like a melon. It is uh, two types of dough, like a cookie dough. And then you take a regular bread dough and you wrap the regular bread dough inside the cookie dough and then bake it. And you have scores in it in, in the outside of it. So when it bakes, it actually kind of looks kind of like the crust or the uh, rind of a melon. Um, but the outside crust is sweet, like sweet and crunchy like a cookie, while the bread on the inside is more like, you know, like a French bread type of thing. Um, they'll take that and they'll cut it open and fill it with vanilla ice cream or uh, matcha ice cream. That shit was heaven. So highly, highly recommend if you go to Osaka or anywhere that has that shit. Just try it. I'm going to try and make this melon bread shit at some point in my life. Probably not anytime soon, but that that's on my to-do list. Or if you find it anywhere locally to you, just try it. Holy crap. That was so good. Just the bread itself was amazing, but fill it with ice cream because, you know, why not? So one thing that uh, I was very cautious about and every YouTube channel and video that I watched about traveling to Japan, especially for first-timers, was about um, the people. And the cultural differences, especially coming from the U.S. where everybody's an asshole inherently, um, was there is the level of respect that really everybody gives everybody just by default. Um, Personal space is a huge, huge thing there, except when it comes to the train. Um, When it comes to the train or when it comes to even restaurants, um, because everything is so tight and cramped and crowded, the personal space when you're needing to be in that space because you need to get somewhere or you're trying to eat or whatever goes out the window. However, 
if it's something where you're talking to somebody, especially if it's a, you know, men talking to women, you need to stay the fuck back. Like they, they don't appreciate like a guy talking to a woman. They don't appreciate you coming up and, you know, attempting to whisper in their ear or anything like that. They, they, they want their space. I didn't do any of that. Like nobody wanted to talk to me. Um, but the, that's just something that they made very clear in the videos. Like, Hey, you don't just, it's common to get up close and personal and you go and shake hands with everybody and oh, high fives. And no, they're, it's not a high five culture unless you already know these people. Like, don't be the drunk idiot. And even though, you know, there are plenty of drunk idiots, especially in Osaka, Osaka's kind of like a party town, um, down on Dotonbury and, uh, what is it called? Shikese? I think Shikese Tower area. Kind of all near each other, but um they that was something that they made pretty clear is Japanese people do not like to be uh crowded, especially by foreigners. Um and you know, I'm a giant compared to the average average Japanese person. And you know, so that was something I was very cautious about. Um, especially on the trains, you know, I, I did everything I could to reduce my footprint on the trains, uh, for the bullet trains and stuff. I had seats and those were reserved. So that was a non-issue, but, um, in the train stations, um, on the subways, I was on some pretty crowded subways from time to time and really just trying to stay out of everybody's way or make it so I could hold on to a bar instead of one of the rubberized handles that hang above because I've, I've got some shoulder drama that's happening. Um, but I wanted to be able to, uh, not fall over and take out 35 people on the fucking subway if I could avoid it. Um, but everybody was super duper polite if they even talked to you. So like hotel staff, restaurant staff, everybody was super cool there. Like there was never, never an issue there, which I didn't expect there would be, but, um, the normal folks just wandering around, walking, going, going to work, going to dinner, going to wherever. They don't even acknowledge you. Like, unless you, even if you say hi to them, which they probably don't want you to, they probably just ignore you. Um, they go about their business. Like, unless it's something where you're in their way or they're in your way, you know, you'll get your standard apologies or a bow or something like that. But everybody, everybody was super, 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 super polite. Um, the one not so polite experience I had was uh, at the uh, Shir was at the Fushimi Anari Temple um, or Fushimi Anari Shrine, and it was she was a tourist and she was with her somebody her, her man, and I was sitting down uh, recording some video, taking some pictures, just sitting down on the spot staying out of the way of everybody that's trying to take all their photo opportunities in the Tory gates. Um, cause there was, I got there at the same time as tour buses and there was a fuck ton of people and she's walking by and I don't know what language she was speaking, but she sees my fat ass sitting on this little stoop and calls me a sumo, like straight up looks me in the eye, grabs him and then calls me a sumo. And I wanted to drop kick her, but she wasn't Japanese. So even though, you know, I didn't speak what language she was speaking, the word sumo kind of came out. So, you know, fuck her, which was even funnier because she's like a foot shorter than me and equally rotund. So whatever it is, what it is. Uh, but even then she wasn't rude directly to me. She was just talking shit and forgot that sumo is not 
you know, a word I probably didn't know. So whatever. Uh, but everybody was super, very, like really, really cool. The hardest thing I encountered obviously would be the communication for the most part. Um, if I needed to talk to somebody, uh, Google translate, if I needed to, uh, was my saving grace. But I, I think I used it once to actually talk to somebody. Uh, other than that, I used Google translate to translate menus and that was it or signs. Like if I, if I was trying to read a sign about something, Google translate will do a pretty good job of translating the sign or the menu or whatever with the takes a picture and scans it and translates it. That was really cool. But really in the restaurants, at least the hotels and restaurants or hotels within restaurants, those folks spoke enough English, um, that that was not an issue. Some of the outside restaurants, those folks also spoke enough English that they could, you can have a very, you know, business related conversation without much trouble. Um, knowing how to say, you know, hello, good evening, thank you in, in Japanese helps. If you say good evening in Japanese, it's konbanwa. If you say that to them, they will assume you know Japanese and might start just talking to you as if you know, and then you have to, you know, sorry, I don't know Japanese, but, and that actually happened at 7-Eleven a few times, but at 7-Eleven by the hotel or in the hotel, um, at least the first hotel in Tokyo, they they spoke English, all of them. And the, ho the 7-Eleven inside the hotel at the airport hotel, they spoke none, which I thought was interesting. Um, but they, they, you know, hold up a plastic bag. Do you need one? Okay. Yeah, cool. So I didn't have any real struggle. Um, and even at the restaurants, I went to an all-you-can-eat sushi restaurant and the waiter there, he was a much, much, much older guy. He was able to ask me if I needed an English version of the menu, um, just by saying the word English and pointing at the menu. And I said, hi. Yeah. And he brought me one. Um, and then, you know, come by and ask if I wanted miso soup just by saying miso soup. So the communication barrier is definitely there, but it wasn't anything that you can't get around um, as long as you're patient because you got to remember you're in their country and you should speak their language, not the other way around. So uh, knowing that ahead of time definitely helps, but it's just, it's just a matter of respect, you know, respect them. They respect you by default. And if you can make it at all easier for them to communicate with you, that's even better. I had, uh, I was walking out of the hotel in Osaka to go find dinner. And, uh, one of the housekeepers, he's an older man. Most of the housekeepers I noticed were older men. Um, he was in the room, but he was in the doorway to the room, uh, his, the room he was cleaning. And it was like five o'clock, six o'clock at night. And just from the language learning I've been doing for Japanese, that's when you switch from konnichiwa to konbanwa uh, uh, for good evening is right around sunset. And uh, he said konnichiwa. And I, I looked at him and pointed like, you know, hey, hey, and said konbanwa. And he stopped everything. And he said, Japanese. And he bowed to me. And, and I was like, oh, oh, no, just just a little bit, just a little bit, because I'd only been doing it for like a little over a month. He, he bowed to me again, and then he gave me two thumbs up. And I was like, oh, that's, that's fucking cool. I just got bowed to by this really old man and two thumbs up and because he was happy that I at least fucking tried, and that was cool. I appreciated that. So everybody there was super, super, super awesome. Um, 
the, the people that weren't awesome were tourists. So that's something you'll deal with. So really the last the last thing I was kind of going to talk about uh, was just the weather. Um, I know in the summertime, uh, Japan can get stupid hot and very, very, very muggy because it's super humid there. And uh, that's not surprising at all. Uh, when I went to Bali, I had a uh, layover in Taiwan, which is further south than Japan. And the layover in just that airport was about five and a half hours and I wanted to die. And that was in August or no, that was in September. And it was so humid just inside the airport. Like I was, I was dying. Um, and that was at like shit, seven o'clock in the morning, I think is when we got there. And that was, that was not a good time. Did not appreciate that humidity. It was, it made South Florida look like it was the desert. Um, so I was kind of worried about that. Uh, but I knew in the springtime, everything I'd, I'd read about traveling to Japan, you know, they said summertime is hot as hell and it's muggy. And springtime, a little less so. It's rainy in the spring. And uh, it did rain quite a lot when I was there, which put, you know, if I had a packed itinerary, it definitely would have put a damper on some of those plans. Um, what it wasn't was bad. Like, I, I carried around a sling crossbody backpack thing, just a single single strap crossbody backpack that carried around like a gimbal for my phone if I wanted to use my phone to record, which I did in uh, the national park for the cherry blossoms. And then my um, I have a GoPro, carried that around. I had a, a um, portable battery pack to recharge my phone and shit if I needed to. And then snacks, so like I kept a bo- at least a bottle of water, maybe a Coke Zero in there. Um, and then I had a couple protein bars and stuff in there that I kept. Um, and then, uh, like I kept my checkbook in there just cause it had a couple of spare credit cards in there if I needed them. Um, or if I lost like my wallet or my other main travel wallet that I kept my passport and stuff in, if I lost any of that shit, at least I had something as a backup except for a third ID. I didn't have a third. I should get a copy of my ID. So that way I have a third, third option in case I lose all that shit. But Um, but my travel, my little sling black backpack had that. So I had that on my back. Um, it was in the, like the sixties and low to mid seventies everywhere I was most of the days, except for when it rained. Um, and then when it rained, it was just, you know, still in the mid sixties, kind of a warm rain. I only walked around in the rain a little bit and that had more to do with the shoes I had than anything else. Cause they are definitely not made to be wandering around in the wet. I will say that right now, and that's all I'll mention it. Um, but the weather, like, uh, as a big dude, I sweat a lot anyway. Uh, humidity and I are not friends, and my back was sweaty fucking most of the time anyway, but especially because of that stupid backpack, the sling backpack. Um, <laughs> that was the sweatiest motherfucker ever, just in that section where the backpack hung out. Um but other than that, the weather was beautiful. It was, you know, overcast a lot of the days, and then the sun would come out. When I made it to the to the park, the Shinjuku Gyoen Park, um, it was kind of overcast on my way to it because it rained in the morning. And then by the time I got to the park, it was just the right amount of cloudy that it wasn't overly bright. Although when I look at a lot of the pictures and the video that I took with my cell phone, they seemed to be pretty washed out. Um, and that might have been a setting on my phone or something that. 
I just didn't catch at the time because I wear my sunglasses fucking everywhere. But um, it was it was very sunny outside, and that contributed to the amount of people that were there too. But um, it wasn't super super hot. Like it was warm. The humidity was noticeable, but it wasn't overbearing. Um, when I was down in those, actually, I think the worst humidity I had probably was in Kyoto at the Fushimi Inari. Um, and I think it just had more to do with the lack of wind. It didn't seem very breezy there that day. Everywhere else, it was kind of breezy wherever I was. And, you know, I don't mind the humidity when it's breezy. When it's not breezy at all, that's when the humidity really sucks because then it's just stuck on you. Um, and then with that pack, that backpack thing, that that didn't help the situation for the back sweat, but... You know, it is what it is, but it was beautiful, and I don't know if I want to be there in the summertime based on everything I've read and heard, but uh, springtime, not bad at all. Fall is probably pretty good, too. Wintertime, I, I guess it just rains a lot in the winter, but um, yeah, like I said, I'm already looking into going back at some point, um, maybe check out Okinawa or go north or all of the above, but I don't know. I want to go back. Maybe, Maybe I'll move there. Maybe that's what I'll do. I don't know. But anyway, I've, I've talked for a really long fucking time about this trip. Um, I really appreciate you listening to me. I have, a, like I said, I'm going to do a part two where I get into the details about everything I did, um, where I was, where I went. Um, if you want to check out pictures and, and just not listen to that episode, have at it because I'll put that episode out either uh, a week from now or a couple weeks from now. I have to record it. I don't know if I'll get to that today. I got to do my taxes, so... Really excited about that. Then I got to cry because of the taxes. Um, And then I got to get ready to travel. I'm going to North Carolina this week. So there's that. Um, I appreciate you listening to this. I appreciate everything that any of you ever do in support of me. Um, Whether it's just saying hi or, hey, when's the next podcast episode? Why the fuck are you so lazy? Or whatever. I really do appreciate that. Um, The fact that anybody wants to listen to me talk about whatever blows my mind still uh not gonna lie that's the coolest and most flattering thing that uh, anybody's ever ever told me and in fact even on facebook i posted a memory um a memory about the lady that called me when i worked in dispatch and then growled at me all sexed up um which still makes me laugh like it's funny and one of my former coworkers told me I should start a true a true crime podcast. And I don't want to start a true crime podcast. That's just too much work. As you can tell, I'm very not, you know, super dedicated to doing my podcast about whatever. Um, there's a lot of research that goes involved to a true a true crime podcast. I can't even say true crime. Um, it's just a lot of work that goes into those. And as much as I would love to uh, read for one of those that I, I couldn't do all the legwork that goes into that. I just, I don't have the time. Um, and it's a very saturated thing, but if you know, anybody looking for somebody to read their true crime podcast with them, uh, you know, I'll do that for sure. But it's the legwork portion that I just can't, I can't swing at this point, but I'll, I'll happily work on it with somebody if they're, if they're into it. So let me know. Anyway, again, I appreciate you checking this out. I'm going to chop this up and uh, get it posted. And uh, 
If you uh, haven't found it, if you go to Etsy.com and search for Death Metal Disco, I have a store up there. It's got shirts and hoodies, which, you know, hoodies are, I'm going to let all those expire. They should be expiring here soon just because it's summertime. So buying a hoodie in the summer is stupid, especially since those hoodies are pretty fucking heavy. Not going to lie. Um, they're perfect for the you know winter time because uh, they are very, very heavy hoodies. But uh, I, I added some tank top stuff. I have no idea for sure how good they are as far as the print layout on the tank tops. Um, I made kind of like a retro, retro, <laughs> I guess it's like a retro 80s, early 90s design of the death metal disco. It's not a metal logo at all. Um, solid kind of hyper color type of thing that if anybody buys, I'll be fucking impressed. Uh, but if you want to check it out, Etsy.com and just search Death Metal Disco. I still have Misanthrope stuff on there. Um, thanks to Jeremiah for buying a Misanthrope shirt. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so appreciate all of the support. Again, I'm going to do part two, which will be specific to where I was and what I did um, while I was in Japan. And then episode three should be my uh, first int- interview that I have planned. And uh, that should be... That should be uh, revealing. We'll call it revealing. Um, yeah. Anyway, thanks to all my fans. I love you. Be safe. Thank, Thank you for listening to Death Metal Disco. Disco.